No one knows more about how property tax works in the Colorado legislature than Representative Lisa Frizzell. And you're about to find out why. And she knows why Proposition HH is so flawed and dangerous. If you listen to one podcast before the election, let it be this one. This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV, which stands for Independence Institute TV, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. You gotta listen to this discussion. There's few people in the state legislature who know about property taxes more than this lady, Lisa Frisell from the Colorado State Legislature. Now, for years, you were the county assessor. Right. All right. That was in Douglas County. In Douglas County. Their home was there. Just a couple. I remember when there weren't. I do, too. I grew up in Douglas County. and It was this, it was this wonderful, was vacant place where people would go and buy homes for next to nothing. Yeah. And then, and then people came and ruined everything. <laughs> All right, so fact. Douglas County is this huge, huge county, lots of growth. The reason I really wanted to talk to you is Proposition HH is coming up on, on the ballot. And if passed, it sounds so good. And when you read the measure that the legislature wrote the wording for the measure, so it's going to sound great, to for property tax relief. Oh my God, and we're going to need property tax relief after the assessments. But it, it, it's not that, it's actually a tax increase. And only the legislature could write a ballot measure that does opposite of what it says. So I wanted to get some background on, on this. Okay. So first of all, why are property taxes going up so ridiculously high? As a state legislator and as an assessor, you've, you know the answer to this better than most. Well, this wasn't just a Colorado phenomena. It's, it's nationwide. We've seen property values increase literally across the nation, especially in areas that are really attractive for people to live. You've seen, if you live in Florida, you've seen your property values increase by 40 50%. Texas, the same thing. Las Vegas, um, the Carolinas, Colorado. And so this wasn't necessarily a Colorado thing. We're just a really fabulous place to live and people want to live here. We saw a lot of influx of folks from California. I hadn't noticed. Um, Well, maybe not where you live. I've noticed. Where I live, we've had a lot of folks come in who have a lot more cash to spend on a house, and that actually drove some of the prices up. We also saw another odd phenomena where we had internet companies buying homes and buying maybe like an entire block of homes, and that would they would just come in and pay lots and lots of money over what the property was worth and use them for rentals. So there's been a lot of different things going on in the real estate market that caused this. This is what's so insidious about property tax is that you buy something and you own it. And in order to just keep what you have, you have to pay this ransom just to to keep what you already bought. But I already bought this glass. Why do I have to keep paying somebody ransom to do this? And just because Californians come in and the, 
and buy a property, making the value of this glass go up, I got to pay more in ransom. It doesn't seem fair. And particularly people on a fixed income or older folks or just regular people, pretty soon you're paying more in taxes than what you paid in your mortgage. It's not fair. And so Coloradans decided to put some things in place to stop that, mm -hmm. to say, you know what? Just because my property value goes up doesn't mean my property taxes should go up. And we put in a couple mechanisms to make sure that if this goes up, the mill levy should go down so that our property tax stays roughly the same, or at least goes up by inflation and not much more. What were those protections? So, so going back to one of your initial comments, um, it's, it's really important for people to understand that property tax is different from sales tax that you would pay on your glass. Right. And it really goes to providing the revenue to all those entities that provide services to your home, whether it's your water and sanitation district, school district, library district, county, municipality, there's, there's a long list. And the problem with unfettered increases in property taxes is that money is just going to those, those government agencies. They are doing what with it? We don't know. And so that's why in 1982, the Gallagher Amendment was passed. And the Gallagher Amendment did a couple of different things. Because before that, not all assessors were assessing property at the same time in the same way. It was all over the place. And so it created some very strict standards about how we did that. The other thing that it did was it created a floating residential assessment rate. And so it's basically, as property values go up, the, the residential assessment rate would decrease. And it to was- keep, To keep the tax rate to keep about the same. 100%, so, so that when your, your most, probably your most important asset that you own, which you want, you want the value to go up, right? It's, it's an investment mm -hmm. for you. Um, so that's a good thing, but paying taxes on an ever increasing investment um, is not, does not make sense. And so that's can, can, why that residential rate needed to come down. Can I try this as an analogy? You, you buy stock in Apple and the stock in Apple goes up and it goes up and it goes up and it goes up. This is terrific, yeah. but you're not paying tax on the stock going up until you cash it out. 100%. Because it could go down by the time it goes uh, you cash out. And so you pay a capital gains tax from when you buy it to when you sell it. And if it goes up or down or up or down, but when you sell it, that's when you do it. But on your home, you're paying for it every year when it goes up or down, mm -hmm. which makes no sense. It's really pretty twisted and it's pretty hurtful for, for people that way. And so with Gallagher, the idea is, well, if it goes up, the mill levy goes down, the rate, if you will. Imagine your income tax rate. So if this goes up, your tax rate, I'm gonna say rate, but it goes down so that the level is the same. Mm -hmm. Interestingly though, Gallagher didn't do that for commercial properties. It didn't. And it was pretty unfair to businesses. That was a problem. That's what I really hated about Gallagher. And so 
people would say, oh, Colorado's property taxes, they're awfully low compared to New York. No, because you're paying for King Super's property tax. Every time you buy a loaf of bread, yep. you just don't see it. Yeah. All right, so yeah. then what? Well, then in 1992, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights was, was enacted also. And people talk a lot about there was a conflict between Gallagher and Tabor because, and that only happened in certain circumstances. And I'll t I can talk about that if you want, but. Um, you got to keep it simple for me. Okay, well, so Tabor comes along and basically limits revenue growth to local government, to all government entities, in fact and says, you, you know, you can only increase your budget by this percent and that's all. And if you, if you have to lower your mill levy, so be it, you have to lower your mill levy. And so we still see today some taxing entities whose mill levies keep going down as the property values within their jurisdiction increase. But there were a lot of taxing entities, service providers, that did what was called debrucing, meaning that they stepped away and they don't have to be part of this Tabor They can keep the change. They can keep the change. They don't have to lower their mill levies. They can capture uh, unlimited revenue. And therein lies some of the problem that we're seeing today because the reality is, is there are so many of these service providers, taxing entities that have debruced that when we see huge jumps in property tax or property values, even with a frozen residential assessment rate, which is what we have now, those entities should, according to Tabor, still be lowering their mill levy. Right. But they're not because they don't have to. So we're in this spot. People voted to get rid of uh, Gallagher. They only voted that way because, again, the legislature wrote the measure to very, in a very sly way. They said, without raising tax yeah. rates, which awfully sound like raising tax, raising taxes. But they were talking about without raising, without raising tax rates. Really what they meant was without lowering this, this thing, the, the mill levy. Well, by not lowering that, and this goes up, your taxes go up. By getting rid of Gallagher, that means as this goes up in your mill levy, your rate won't go up, It'll, but stops it from going down. Now people's tax rates, tax levels, are gonna go skyrocketing. Uh, unlike we've ever, gonna, we've ever seen. Yeah. The largest tax increases in Colorado history. Ever. People will see 30, 40, 50, in some cases, 70% tax increases for their property taxes. Mm -hmm. And they've done nothing. They, they haven't worked harder. They haven't brought in more money. They've done nothing. They've just lived in their house. They haven't changed their house. They've done nothing. And their property taxes are going to go up 70% next year. Well, let me ask you this question, because what are those government entities going to do with all of that excess revenue? Are they going to provide better services? I'm sure they are would they say so. Are they going to write checks back to their constituents? No. What's going to happen? Some of them will. Some of them like Jefferson County and I think Douglas County. Mm -hmm. Some of those big counties that did not debruce might have to return those funds. I think of Jefferson County that tried to get out of Tabor 
and lost that uh, fight by 500 votes. Oh, thank God that they did that. But there are 5,000 districts out there that get money from property taxes yeah. from all sorts of special districts to library districts and water districts and fire districts. And all, they're all going to just be bloated with this money, 70% more money next year. So fortunately, our hero comes to the rescue. Our hero being the Colorado State Legislature, who knows that they've had two years since Gallagher's been repealed. And there was a promise. The promise was, you repeal Gallagher, and we, the legislature, will replace it. Yes. So instead of coming up with a replacement before we voted to repeal it, somehow we were so stupid as to believe <laughs> that you guys were going to re replace it with something better. What idiots. What idiots we were. So we, we, we repealed it, and now you're going to replace it with something even better, but that's going to keep property taxes down. Um, you had two years. Yeah. You guys did diddly all. Nothing happened nope. for two years. At the beginning of the last session, you came up with a compromise and said, let's just have a timeout. Mm -hmm. Let's not do the assessments for, what, a year or two? Two. And, and give us more time, bring stakeholders together and figure it out. Um, and if I recall correctly, the legislature unanimously said, that's a great idea, we'll do it. The governor said, that's a terrific idea, passed it immediately at the beginning of the session. Um, no, John, no, no, that didn't happen. Oh, it died in committee. It died in committee. Oh, that's right. I was um, yeah, it was actually killed by the Democrats in committee because the governor's office told uh, the Democrats on the finance committee to vote no. And instead with a mere week left in the session. After two years of doing Seven nothing, days. the governor comes in on a white horse and says, we got the problem solved. All good. It's all good. It kind of reminds me of, you know, those um, movies where the town sheriff has the murder solved at hand, but then the FBI guy comes and goes, we got it here. Yeah. <laughs> you guys go away. Yeah. So he comes in and brings us Prop HH. Nobody knows what it is yeah. and says, here it is. And they pass it with days left, just mere hours left. What is Prop HH? What does it really do? Gosh, it does a lot of things, John. Um, but what it doesn't do is provide property tax relief to the citizens of the state. But it state. says so right in the ballot. It's, it says, yeah, it's right yeah. there it's in the blue book. It says I, property I, tax relief. I don't want to you know, disillusion you about government at all, especially about the governor's office. But this is a sleight of hand from a math perspective. So those who recall the Gallagher repeal, part of the Gallagher repeal was to freeze the residential assessment rate at 7.15%. The assessment rate has never been, has not been 7.15% since then because the legislature has, um, ever since it was since the repeal have they have all artificially set the rate at lower whatever they decided for that year so the t the property owners the taxpayers of the state have experienced a great deal of lack of consistency literally on a year to year basis because of the Gallagher repeal and the legislature not coming up with 
a replace plan. They have been sticking band-aids and duct tape and bailing wire on this deal for two years. And it's just really frustrating because we could have done essentially the same thing this year and provided real property tax relief to the citizens of this state. We could have lowered the residential assessment rate. And we didn't. We did not. And that's a real crime, in my opinion. Because what HH really does, and the only reason it's going to the ballot, is because the governor's office and the Democrats want this, the, the voters of this state to hand over a blank check for government increases in revenue forever. What that means is they got us to repeal Gallagher a couple of years ago, right? With, with well, we'll just call it language that was less than informative. They are doing the very same thing, except this time with their deceptive language in this ballot initiative or referendum, they are trying to get the citizens of this state to repeal Tabor. They are getting, trying to get the citizens of this state to say, it's okay, state government, you just keep all of our money. You keep it all. We trust you. We know that you're going to do the right thing by us. I hope that people will see through that. What do you mean they're going to take our revenue? The ballot measure is very clear. To reduce or for property tax relief. Then it goes on to say it's going to do some wonderful things. It says nothing. It says nothing, Lisa, about raising taxes. It says nothing about withholding our Tabor refunds. I mean, last year we got a nice check for you know, $700. $750. Uh, $750. Yeah. I got a check. I signed the back of it. And um, that was a, a Tabor refund because the, the state brought in money over the Tabor, the Tabor limit. The ballot measure does not say anything about keeping those overages. Well, that's part of the sleight of hand also, in my opinion. Um, I, th I think that what it does say is that uh, they are, the state is no longer subject to Tabor and that all of those excess, the excess revenue, those $750 checks that we got last year, um, they can just keep that money going forward. The, the sleight of hand is how they're planning on spending it. And so they have now started talking a little bit about how that excess, those excess funds will be spent more on education. I believe it when I see it. Um, In but, other words, you can't force a future legislature to put money into any line item no. because you can't bind the hands of a future legislature. They can do with tax money what they will. Yes, they you can. You can suggest it, but you can't bind them. Correct. And I think that's part of the point. The, the, thing, the thing, John, the, is that we could have solved this property tax problem during session, and we did not. We could have one of the other, one of the great things about this bill, and it's a big carrot that the governor's office um, wisely threw into it, 
was making the senior property tax exemption portable. We've been trying, Republicans have been trying to do that for years. What does that mean? So currently, if you are a senior, you live in your house for 65 years, I mean, as, for 10, sorry, if you're a senior and you've lived in your house for 10 years and you're 65 years or older, you qualify for the senior property tax exemption. And it's um, essentially $100,000 of actual value off of your tax calculation. So if your house is worth a half a million dollars, you get taxes if it's $400,000. Correct. Um, and it's a, that's a great deal. The seniors of Colorado have been benefiting from this on, on this uh, constitutional amendment for over 20 years. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a terrific thing. But what it doesn't do is it, if you need to downsize or you want to move to be closer to your kids or whatever, you can't take it with you. It is really bound to that particular house that you qualified on. So, so in other words, a senior is going to stay in their home perhaps longer than they should yeah. or that they'd like to because it's, it's a $100,000 benefit. And if I move to a smaller home or if I move, want to move someplace else in Colorado, I'm going to lose this big benefit yeah. and I won't get it back for 10 years. Right. And, and uh, Senator Larry Liston has for years run a bill to make the senior exemption portable so, you, so that they could downsize and actually return that larger house to the inventory um, of for sale housing that we are so short on these days, right? Yeah, so your four kids have moved out. You don't need those extra four bedrooms. Correct. Another family might. Yes, they do. So we could have made the senior exemption portable legislatively, and we did not. We have not for years. But for some reason, the, the Democrats decided to throw that in as a big carrot for our senior voters because uh, that's a, it's a big that's thing. That's a clever one. Very clever. But the thing that the legislature can't do that only the voters of the state can do is to vote to let the state keep the Tabor excess. Uh, I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Everything that is in this bill, you guys could have done on your own. You don't need this bill to give us property tax relief. You don't need this Prop HH. You don't need us to vote on it to give us property tax relief. You don't need us to vote on it to give seniors portability. You don't need our permission to do any of this no. except for one thing, to raise our taxes. Yes. In other words, if you want to keep our Tabor refunds, you need our permission. Yes. That's what this bill is all about. All and about. this bill, this Proposition HH, doesn't say it in the language. This is my frustration. Now, I've put several things on the ballot over the years through Citizens Initiative, including some tax cuts that have passed in the last few years. When I put something on the ballot, I've got to go and bring the wording of my measure to a group called the Title Board. Yes. Title Board is made up of three people who try their best to describe what I'm trying to do to the voters. And they come up with what they try, and it's writing by committee, and they try to do it in a factual way. And if it's a tax increase, they have to say, shall taxes be increased by this amount? Or shall you give up your tax refunds? I pretty much guarantee you that if you legislators had to go to that title board, you wouldn't get this. For, do you want property tax relief? Who the hell doesn't want property tax Everybody relief? Everybody does. We we'll all raise does. our hand collectively. In the same way, 
the lie, and you were much more diplomatic than I, the lie on repealing Gallagher without raising tax rates, but very much with raising taxes. If that, if that was written honestly, it never would have passed. For raising property taxes, as you'll find out, by 40 to 70% in one year, do you want to repeal Gallagher? People would have said no. Yep. So what's your recommendation to voters? Vote no on HH. Just vote no. Okay. And, 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 and here's why I think that this is really important. This will hamstring the citizens of the state for 10 years at minimum, unless something else comes along. The citizens of this state need to vote this referendum down and vote no so that, and what is my hope, is the governor will do the right thing and call a special session and legislature, legislature will do its job and lower the assessment rate. Lower it to provide the assistance with property taxes that our, our citizens need and deserve. I'll tell you, John, I'm really fed up about this. I'm really, really frustrated because this bill was not stakeholded. It was... What does that mean? So if you are going to run a bill, you're going to go out and talk to the people who are impacted by it, all those interested entities. So if in, in this particular case... Um, you would think that the governor's office would have reached out to citizen, citizen groups who are interested in property taxes. Heck, you would think that he might even talk to the only a, a former assessor in the state legislature about it. That didn't happen either. That would be you. you. That would be me. Um, you would think that they would have talked to the special district association, the fire, the firefighters, the... Um, water and sanitation districts, the counties, none of that happened. There were those conversations. And again, this never all popped out with just place. days left. They had two Seven years, days. and with days left, they plopped this on the table with no stakeholder process. In other words, what has been known as the fake holder yeah. process. So out comes the fake holder process. Oh, we've talked to everybody. Yeah. And it turns out they've talked to no one, right. but they came up with a plan to raise taxes. This is what they tried to do, if you remember, with Prop CC, which was to destroy our Tabor refunds. They were a bit more honest with this and said, we want to destroy your Tabor refunds. Here, they have the leverage. They said, we're going to give you this tiny little bit of property tax relief, which doesn't grow over time. It's the same amount of property tax relief. And it doesn't change anything. It doesn't grow proportionally. It's just this tiny little thing over time. And will destroy our proper uh, our Tabor refunds over time. They will finally get what they want, which is to have to destroy the Tabor limits yep. permanently. And it's really evil genius. I mean, it really is clever. No wonder they waited until the twelfth hour to right before the strike of midnight uh, on the legislature to drop it down without a stakeholder. No wonder it was a fake holder process because if it, if it got out, People would know exactly what they're doing, and the alarm bells would have rung a lot earlier. One hundred percent. In fact, so 
at, in the state legislature, we have bills go through committees. And sometimes a bill will go through one committee and then to the floor, or two committees and then to the floor. If it has financial impact on the state, it has to go through appropriations committee. Committees are the citizens' platform to make their voice heard. Because it's a you, have, thing. you have hearings yes. where any citizen can come and speak. Yes. It really is a pretty amazing thing. You can come and face your legislature mm -hmm. and face the leg legislator and say, I think this is a bad idea. 100%. And you must listen to them. And, and it's a smaller group because you're, so you're not speaking to the entire House or the entire Senate. You're speaking to a smaller group of legislators. And this is the amazing thing. And this is, the, this is so disturbing to me, John, is that Senate Bill 303, which became, became Prop HH, never went to committees of reference other than appropriations. It went, it was introduced, it went directly to the Senate Appropriations Committee and then on Saturday, we heard it in the House Appropriations Committee. Not a single citizen was re really had the ability to pro provide their opinion, which is, I think, when you're talking about a bill that affects every single citizen of this state, every single citizen, whether you're a renter or you're a homeowner, it doesn't matter. If you're a business owner, it affects every single person in the state. And nobody, nobody got to speak up about it. What adjective would you use to describe that process? Diabolical. I don't know. You mentioned that this is going to, if passed, be this way for at least 10 years. What happens after 10 years? Well, that's another really unfortunate thing about this is that uh, the legislature can just decide amongst its, itself without talking to the people, without going to a vote of the people to just renew it. And so it just renews. So in other words, this isn't 10 years, this no. is forever. Yes. You think the legislature, be it controlled by Republicans or Democrats, are going to say, oh, let's give back all this tax money back to the, to the people and, and return um, Tabor refunds? One of the great misconceptions about the Taxpayer Bill of Rights is that Republicans in power like it. No, politicians of all stripes do not like Tabor limits because it forces all politicians to do something they despise. It's called their job, which is to set priorities, right. which is either set priorities and say, we're going to fund this, but not that, which means you're going to anger your constituents of someplace, or go to the people and ask to keep the overages and say, can we keep the extra money over the limit? And that means that your voters go, well, what are you doing with the money you have now? And no politician likes that either. Yeah. It's, a, it's wrong to think that Republicans love Tabor, uh, not the ones in office, because it, it puts them in a very uncomfortable position. If this passes, if HH passes, it's, it's there forever. That, that is, a, and that's a really important distinction to make, is that Colorado is one of, I think the only states, one of the very few states in our, in, in our country where the citizens are in the driver's seat when it comes to government spending. Because governments have to ask the citizens what to do with their money. 
And that's powerful. It was powerful until you guys figured out and the Supreme Court said, all you need to do is relabel that money a fee and then you don't need to ask. I agreed. Okay, but I wasn't in the legislature then. Oh, <laughs> let me get on my high horse for just a second about that. Because um, I was pretty involved. When, when Tabor passed in 1992, there were still buckets of money that um, were not part of the general fund. They were still enterprises and things like that. We called those fees. Uh, and the general fund bucket was about two-thirds the size of that other bucket. Um, and now that fees have continued to grow because you find, well, if we call it a fee, we don't have to put it into this bucket. We'll put it into the other bucket. Mm -hmm. That bucket that is now called fees is two-thirds the size of this bucket. What scares me on a very ethical sense about democracy is that our founders fought for taxation with representation. That fee bucket is not representation. Those are all appointees that run that bucket. We elect you. Direct representation is the legislature. Legislature does appropriations, the long bill. This is your main job. Yeah, we can distract you with wonderful things about uh, social issues and other stuff, but your real job is to make priorities about our spending. And so in you know, 30 short years, three decades, it has gone from two-thirds of the budget that you control now to one-third of the budget. And the more that we keep doing this trick of calling things uh, fees, the less our direct democracy has any power over government and the more appointees, non-elected, mm -hmm. bureaucrats, the king, gets to decide where all the money is being spent. You know, we keep talking about Democracy is in danger. Well, democracy is in danger because we're allowing our politicians to use fees to tax us. Yeah. You know, and you could say, well, the, well, you know, a lot of that is government appointees by the governor. Well, all right, we, we appoint one guy. That's getting to be a little kingish. And, well, we like the governor. Well, a lot of people like Trump. Would you want Trump to have that much power? And who knows if we elect a Trump to be governor sometime in the future. We don't make laws for today. We make laws for 50 years ahead. This is a danger that we're getting because we're being short-sighted over, over finances. And we're not seeing that. You know, one of the things that I really, just, again, as a first-year legislator, I, I came to see a lot of is the formation of task forces. This is, this is fascinating to me because... The way, and I'll just say the Democrats are doing it because it, they're using, they're passing a bill to create a task force to study something. And that is their stakeholding process. So that then they can come back the next year and run a bill on whatever it was. This, this, this session we saw, I think, 16 task forces formed, which is a lot but we'll be seeing at least 15 bills coming out of those. One of those task forces was formed to essentially study the legalization of all drugs in the state. And that, the, that I think that the governor actually vetoed that. 
at the end of the day, that the formation of that actual task force. But the two legislators who were behind that formate that that bill are both 100% for legalizing all drugs in Colorado. That's kind of their shtick. Um, but the thing about that I was really interested in is the makeup of the task force, because in each bill forming the task force, who is going to sit on that and who appoints the people sitting on the task force is very distinctly spelled out. And that was one of the things that you know, I went after a bunch when I had those bills coming toward, to, to my committees, is trying to get the bill sponsors to budge on who is actually going to sit on the task force. Because it's like these, um, these groups that you're talking about where they are, these, these folks are the commissioners a lot of times, um, like the Oil and Gas Conservation Committee. Um, these are all folks that are appointed by the governor. Sometimes, who hate the who, oil and gas Who, who hate world. oil and gas, ironically. And they are in charge of all the rulemaking. Um, they are in charge of funds. They are in charge of, they have huge responsibility. And sometimes they have no little or no expertise in this field. Um, same thing with some of these task forces. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the fix is in when you see who's, who's going to be placed on these task forces. And, and the same thing is true with the committees, I think, as well. So let's wrap this up. We were talking a lot about what, what the Democrats did during the session and, and all leading up to this, this fake holder process and, yeah. and HH and, and, and how duplicitous it is that this is a tax increase disguised as tax relief. I mean, it, it really is ingenious. Talk about Republicans for a second. I mean, for the first time in Colorado history, your House, the uh, House of Representatives, has a veto-proof supermajority of Democrats, yeah. mostly wild progressives. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. But what about on the Dem on the Republican side? Um, give me your bright-eyed. You know, here, here you are from Douglas County. You're the assessor, which is a very technical job. It's not a very policy-driven job. You're not out there as an assessor going, hmm, how do I feel about abortion today? What are we going to do to stop abortions as the assessor? No, you have a very specific job as assessor. And now you're thrown into this, this uh, position that is all about policy. And then you're, you're dealt in a world where you're not king. You're, you're in this ridiculous committee, and you're in the minority of a committee. Talk to me about what it was like as a Republican. So Democrats, we know what they're doing. Yeah. What were the Republicans doing? How did the Republicans do? Grade your team. Oh my gosh. You know, I would give us a- And you can be honest. Okay. I, you know, I would have at the beginning of session given us kind of a C um, because we were, there were so many new legislators in our group and we came from, you know, like from all over the place. I, I think by the end of session, we had come together and figured out how to work together and leverage each other's strengths and become much more united. And so by the end of session, I would give us 
a B plus or an A, John, because... Are you grading on the curve there? Oh, maybe. Yeah, now, I mean, it seemed pretty dysfunctional there for a while. It was, and it was, it was dysfunctional that. for a while from my perspective, but, you know, I'm, I'm used to a different world, right, where... Um, not 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 this this incredibly diverse group of personalities who um, and by by virtue of being elected and being in politics, we are all opinionated and that's okay. By the end, we had grown to and develop we had developed a lot of respect for one another, and I think that that's important. Here's the bigger point from my point. Yeah, that's poorly said. Dysfunctional doesn't matter when you're in the super minority. Yeah. And it's fascinating for me to see the media love to jump on Republican dysfunction and to the point where it doesn't matter. Who cares? It doesn't matter if you're dysfunctional or not. One of the more fun parts was when you guys walked out. Mm -hmm. At the end when you said, this is ridiculous, you're not listening to us, you're not hearing us, and jamming this HH stuff down our throats not even listening to our amendments, and particularly the, the uh, last few trips, you just said, we're out of here. Yeah. When you did that, they were all left in the chamber. They certainly had a quorum. They certainly had enough time to do it. They had everything. You, you were unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And when you did that, you started to see the incredible fissures inside the Democratic Party. Yeah. That, yeah, they're all leftist, but there is center-left, there's left, left, and then there's whack job, crazy ass progressive communist left, mm -hmm. and you see them starting to break apart. The untold story in Colorado, and the media has yet to start to report on it, and sooner or later, exactly. there is no other story to report, is the war between the communist factions in the Democratic Party, and how much they are starting to snipe at each other. The total power between them is starting to fight. Well, you know, a perfect example of that is the recent lawsuit that was filed by uh, Representative Marshall and Representative Epps right. um, against their own leadership and our leadership and the caucuses, both caucuses. Right. And um, that was really fascinating to me because there were claims in the lawsuit that uh, for, from a Republican standpoint, were completely inaccurate, um, especially around the walkout when we walked out, that we were coordinating it on signal that, that that's not true, that didn't happen. Um, you know why we know it didn't happen? Republicans still use flip phones. <laughs> not all of us. Not all of us. Some good, of, good some of us have advanced. Hello, Mabel, give me Fox Hill 308. No, I know Republicans. Some of us have advanced. But, um, yeah, that I, I think it's going to be really fascinating. And we're, we're hoping to you know, see about getting a popcorn machine and, <laughs> and just kind of sit back and watch the fireworks because it's going to be a really, really interesting session just to see the factions on the dumb side. In both, in both chambers. One little point of clarification. You mentioned if HH loses, I'm going to say when HH loses, the governor needs to call a special session then. And the reason is that if he doesn't, um, at the end of this calendar year, that's when property taxes are set 
for yes. for next year. And if and if those mill levies are not lowered, we all get a forty to seventy percent hike. Good. And so he's going to say, "Well, you didn't pass HH. Well, we would have gotten this much yeah. of a break." And uh, let it, let it be on his head. I think so. And and I I'm just going to say because I feel, I feel very strongly about this that if the governor out of spite for the citizens of the state for, for turning down his cockamamie plan, um, does not, and he's putative and he does not call a special session, I think he needs to be recalled because he cannot do this to all of the Republicans and Democrats and unaffiliated people in this state who live here, rent, own, um, he just can't. It's, it's not right. He needs to do the right thing by the citizens of the state. Say that again, because that is a big, big statement. I know a lot it of people is. go, recall this guy and recall that. No, but you I, don't strike me as a woman who says that easily. No, I, but I think, you know, if he, if he actually proves how little he, he cares for the citizens of this state, then he needs to go. Lisa, thanks for talking with me. Thank this you has been so much, delightful. John. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. And I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations. Thank you.